0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Are you married? Can you imagine spending all of your life with somebody? I mean, not the length of your life, but every single part of your life with somebody? My guests, Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher... The married stars and creators of the show, Take My Wife, can.
2: First we started working together, then we started dating, then we were moving to L.A., then we were engaged, then we were getting married, then we were making television shows, then we were touring. Like, it's really been a very rapid pace that we have been keeping in both our personal life and also our professional life, and those things happen to both be shared.
1: Gee, sounds exhausting. It's bullseye. Coming up, I'll talk to Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher. Their show, Take My Wife, came out on CISO in August. They created the show, they star in it, they're the executive producers, and they wrote a bunch of the episodes. It's a ton of work, but Cameron says that it's worth sharing their lives. Being queer in this country has
2: changed so dramatically during the time that I've been doing this job. And I really feel like a part of that is people being out and talking positively about their lives.
1: We'll talk about what can happen if you're editing a show that stars someone you're in love with, and why, as the show's creators, they've decided to take on some pretty tough topics, like male comedians' fascination with jokes about sexual
3: assault. It's always male comic versus female audience member, or female blogger, or whatever it is. And so, we just wanted to be female comics talking about it.
1: Plus, comedian and Curb Your Enthusiasm co-star Jeff Garland tells us about the craziest day of his entire career. And I'll tell you about a movie that lacks ambition in the absolute best way possible. That's all coming up on Bullseye. Let's go. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Five years ago, Rhea Butcher and Cameron Esposito met at a stand-up night in Chicago. Cameron was hosting. Ria was trying to pick up comedy sets after working all day as a graphic designer. Cameron saw something in Ria. She encouraged her to quit her day job and try doing comedy full-time. The two of them actually ended up falling in love. They moved to L.A. together. Then last year, they got married. Things were going great. Ria's career was starting to take off. Cameron had already been a successful comedian for a few years and they started hosting a weekly stand-up showcase in LA called Put Your Hands Together. When they got offered their own TV show, they decided to make it about their lives. It's called Take My Wife. It's like about their actual lives, two married comedians hosting a showcase in Los Angeles with jokes but also a lot of really deep feelings. And for most people, all of that would be way too much to try and pull off, but they survived it. Actually, They learned not only could they work together, they could make something pretty great. Here's a clip from the show. Rhea and Cameron are in bed, and they're talking about how their more intimate moments would play on TV.
3: (sighs) Good job. Thanks. So, on our TV show, who show us having sex? Oh, yeah, like a lot. Yeah. I guess I feel two ways about that. I mean, I think it's very important to show two women... I don't know being casually intimate with each other but also like it's us and we're like real people we're a couple
2: well but if we don't do it then it's like no actual lesbians on tv having sex with other women and then there's also like no women on tv having sex with other women period i mean like maybe that happens but then like one of them dies or they both die, like they're, they're warlords and then they die, or they like sleep with a man and then they die, or they're like at school and they die. They are an art professor and they die she professor. Anyway, my point is I just want us to live.
1: <laughs> uh Rhea Butcher, Cameron Esposito, welcome to Bullseye.
2: Thank you, Jesse Thorne. Hello, nice. Jesse Thorne.
1: It's nice to see you, even if, Rhea, you're wearing a Dodgers hat I, in my studio. Oh,
3: my God. I'm so being real insult.
1: This is a real insult to me. Rhea. I
3: understand.
1: You can wear your Cleveland baseball hat in my studio. That's fine. I don't have any problem with Omar Vizquel.
3: I love it's, that hat It's a as handsome well. hat. And I can explain to you why I'm no longer wearing that hat either. Okay. Well, well, we'll talk, we'll talk about we'll talk that, about that
1: after the show. Yes. Right here, we're, we're here to talk about Take My Wife, your new Absolutely. CISO television series. I'm
2: not wearing any hats. That's fine. Well, I'm wearing a producer hat and yes. a writer hat and a... Jeez, Creator goodness. star at the hat. End, and a thundercat Cat. End of the day,
1: at the end of the day, Cameron, you're really just a storyteller. That's
2: true. That's true.
3: <laughs> Effervescent, a... I would say.
1: I was surprised by the amount of feelings in Take My Wife.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Was it your plan to have that many feelings in the show from the beginning?
2: N- no. Uh, this is Cameron speaking. We have to delineate whose voice is whose because um, people have a hard time telling women's voices apart. That's a true thing. <laughs> Um, Cause there's
3: always just been one woman on everything. So it's just like, oh, that's the woman. Yeah. I like to call that the bass player. People effect.
2: have learned how to tell men's voices apart, but for women. So I'm Cameron Esposito and I am Rhea Butcher and we're separate people, Different even though we're people. both lesbians. We have separate even though we're married to each other yeah. and lesbians, even though we're lesbian comics, we're both even though we're both stand-up comics.
3: lesbian women who are stand up comics who are married to each other. We, somehow we're separate people. Somehow we still exist both.
2: In the same universe. Um, now, we didn't really think this show would have this many feelings. We really thought we were making a stand-up show. When we first sold a show to CISO, it was a, a live stand-up show um, hosted by Rhea and I, which this, is very similar to a show we do here in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, the two of you host a show called Put Your Hands Together here in Los Angeles and, and have done so together for, for years now.
2: Yeah, so that's the show that they thought they were getting. They thought they were getting, not not Put Your Hands Together exactly, but— But like
3: a showcase show where primarily it would be stand-up sets with us hosting in between. So we asked them, hey, to make this a little different than your
2: average stand-up showcase, can we write these interstitial sketches where you go home with Rhea and I and you see us after the show? And they said, sure, and we got into the writer's room— to write those sketches and we realized that's all we cared about (laughs) was was that moment that moment of leaving the show with us um and we we got on the phone with the executives from CISO and we re-pitched them a show after having already sold them a show and said hey could it just be totally different and more expensive (laughs) and they said yes which is to their enormous credit we're so glad
3: we were able to work with them on this
1: were you scared to reveal so much of yourselves on the show
3: I mean, I definitely was I think for me, I was scared to reveal a lot of myself mostly <laughs> well, mostly because I'm pretty new in the stand up world relatively speaking, so I felt a little bit like if I am exposing this much of my you know personal life or the way I feel about stand up, I wonder if people will take me seriously um, so I think that was my my biggest hesitation um, it is. It's intense to put some stuff from your real life into a show,
2: um, especially because we really are married and the show's about us really being in a relationship with each other. Um, But also, for me, I I think I was worried about being honest about what it's like to be a woman in comedy. People ask you that question in every interview that you do when you do this job. um, And the answer is it's exactly like being a woman in any other profession uh underpaid underthanked, and
3: (laughs) always ask that question generally
2: (laughs) discouraged from doing your job it's been shocking that people have loved this show so much because i really thought we were gonna we were putting ourselves in the position to get some hate mail
1: one of the things that surprised me about the show is you know i've i've known both of you for years and i've known you cameron even for a little bit longer and um you know, we we used to work together. And uh you know, Cameron especially, you're exceptionally charming and um you know a really super funny and i I'm gonna get into the the dark side of this, Rhea, in a second. Oh please. So uh just carry
3: on. I am enjoying this. So let much, it be Jessie, stipulated
1: please. that you're also all of these things. Um but, no need. uh but I feel like um you know, I wonder sometimes how much your uh, charm and funniness um, is about protecting your actual feelings.
2: Well, you know, I mean, I think my stage persona is really different than my human being persona uh, or my human beingness, <laughs> my being a person. Um, you know, the day after I graduated from college, I got my first job in comedy and then the same week – Massachusetts, which is where I lived, became the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. So the same week I was like released from this Catholic, I've gone through Catholic school my whole life. I was from this very conservative Catholic Italian family, grew up in a really conservative suburban area. And then it just kind of all cracked open. And I feel like the 15 years since then have really been about creating a safe space for myself and also projecting to the world this image of positivity and this happiness um, and satisfaction with my life that I never saw growing up. So it's not to say that it isn't real. I am satisfied with my life. I have a good life. But it's also something I needed to exist. Like I needed to hear myself talk positively about being an out gay woman with this haircut and... Um, I also needed to show other little queer kids and queer adults that it was okay too. And also straight people, because straight people are still in the majority. And in the 15 years that I've been doing this job, we have gone from same-sex marriage illegal nationwide to full marriage equality. And that's just one way that the gay rights movement and that Being queer in this country has changed so dramatically during the time that I've been doing this job. And I really feel like a part of that is people being out and talking positively about their lives. You know, if we talked about our sadness, um, maybe we wouldn't have gotten the reward of being treated as if we are full human beings. And so there's a little bit of sadness and complexity that I have kept to myself because I need the world to know that I'm okay so that I can be okay in the world. And I mean I, I hate to say that, but it's it's a little bit of a privilege to share your your pain with the world. It's the other side. After you get to be equal then you can be in pain. Wow. I can't believe I just said that on the radio but great straight.
1: job. is looking at you like
3: mm. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely I am no that was, that was that was beautiful.
1: It's Bullseye, I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher. They're the married creators and stars of the show Take My Wife on CISO. Rhea, how do you feel like, you know, the two of you tour together a lot um, uh, and, you know, you host the show together, you've worked together a lot. Um, How do you feel that your experience when you step on stage, uh, being more butch than Cameron is, is different?
3: Like in the world, it is difficult. I will say that to start. And then in comedy now, in the world that we live in, I I don't want to say it's like some benefit or anything. But I do feel that, you know, I I am able to get along with both and all genders um, in a particular way that I feel is unique to some butch women. Um, But then in the world, you know, I was recently back home in my home state of Ohio, which I love so dearly specifically my city of Akron, Ohio, the home of champions. And (laughs) I (laughs) forgot what a statement it is to exist this way in certain places in this country still. CNN is blasting on TVs everywhere, talking about bathroom laws. Um, I have experienced that my entire life, uh, difficulty going to public bathrooms. It's a joke that I've talked about for a long time. I mean, it just happened traveling back. People... Look at me with fear and confusion, um, and I know that a lot of other people are experiencing that. And so that is why – I mean that baseline is why I do stand-up. That fear and that confusion, I am trying to work that out of people and help them to understand that we're all just people.
1: Rhea, uh, you're a big sports fan. Yes, I am. Um, As your dangerous hat – Let's talk about the Cavs. Cleveland shirt Cavaliers. Instead, even Jesse. though they look, I'm, I, a, I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, so I'm. But I, 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 it's not like you're wearing a Dodgers shirt. It's a, I'm much more comfortable with your Cavs shirt than Great. your Dodgers hat. I understand. Um, but uh, I wonder if part of the appeal of sports, other than your own athleticism, and you're an athlete as well. Um, so, somewhat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you play you you play baseball, which uh, uh, like I I tried to play some sports in my 30s, and I was like five minutes in, I was like, oh no, I I can't do this anymore. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Um uh, But you play baseball, and you you were once upon a time a professional skateboarder. Yes. Um, And uh, – but I I wonder if part of the appeal of sports for you – and I mention this because it is partly for me – is that sports is an easy point. uh, It's a very easy cultural meeting point. Um, And it's something that women often, you know, uh, ask men about and wonder, like, how can you just talk about sports? Um, but like, I think if you're, and, and people and dudes who aren't into sports have have asked me this question, like, how can you just talk about sports and sports is a wonderful thing that both matters completely and doesn't matter at all that, that is a meeting point.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a language. I think what you're talking about is a shared language of experience, um, in different levels And experience for those people, because there are so many people that are sports fans that don't play sports at all, but you can still talk about sports together. And then there are people that do play sports and don't really follow sports, but you can still talk about sports together. We are on opposing ends of the NBA Finals, but we can still have a conversation about it. Um, And just that I have talked to so many people about the Cleveland Cavaliers winning the NBA Finals this year. And there are so many people that have been like, well, I mean, I'm just like, I'm a huge Steph Curry fan or I'm a huge – I was pulling for Golden State. But you know what? I'm happy for you guys.
1: I think sometimes of the part of the Big Lebowski where uh, Walter says, this is bowling. This is not nom. There are rules. (laughs)
3: Right. (laughs) Which was always very
1: resonant for my my, uh, PTSD-addled veteran father. Yes. But like uh, I think that when you are – when you have really deep issues about conflict – there's something really great about the fact that in sports there are rules that you know what they are. Someone wins and someone loses at the end because of the rules and in in a way it's like totally fair. And also in the culture around it, it at the end of the day, with a very, very rare exception, it's a safe conflict
3: mm-hmm. that yes.
1: you and – like me joking about your Dodgers hat is not going to lead to us – having a real fight.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Man, it is so funny to hear you guys talk about sports because I feel like I have a completely different and opposite perspective than you guys do. It's <laughs> actually, I
3: really appreciate what you guys are saying. Well, I love the rules because I'm an only child. So I just like, I just love rules. And I, it's very hard for me to be on planes because if people don't follow the rules, I want to tell on them <laughs> immediately because like, those are the rules. Yeah, Did R- you not <laughs> listen? Rhea
2: does have a hard time with that.
1: What is your perspective on it, Cameron? I feel
2: uninvited. I feel uninvited. I mean, I was a three-sport athlete in mm-hmm. high school. I was the captain of the swim team. I played rugby in college. Um, I feel uninvited to sports. There is nobody that gets paid as much as the as LeBron.
3: I agree with that. Camera, looks Nessazita.
2: or has any sort of similar experiences that I have. There are men that get lauded for their sport for their ability and prowess in sports that are terrible to women, and we know about it, and we don't care. So I'm sorry that I'm always difficult to deal with, but like, I'm done. I'm done living in this world where I'm nothing.
3: I completely agree with you because while I talk about this conversation that we can have, like, Jesse, you and I can have that conversation because you respect me as a person. (laughs) But there are many conversations about sports that I get that people will come up to me. Oh, I say people and it's men. So I'll just be real. Uh, that will say like, oh, you like baseball? Well, what's the war on? Blah blah blah. You know what? Like going into and I love stats. Like I love stats, but I don't. I don't memorize them because I have other jobs and things that I want to do, and I need to save brain space. That's why I love baseball. The history of the game is forever playing within the game that you're continuing to watch. That's what I love about the sport. But even that, like I am a woman. I'm not a professional baseball player. There are professional female baseball players, but I can't even be a fan without someone questioning my fandom simply because of my gender and – I talk about that as well, so I totally agree with you, Cameron. I am also mad about it. I am also mad that nobody cares about the WNBA. <laughs> yeah. I, I and I, I am mad that softball exists and it existed to keep women out of a sport. Sierra's mad too. I am. She mad. just I, no, keeps I, it inside. She's, and I mean, I, she's I, I, will, mad. I will also watch softball because I like sports. <laughs> sure. You know, like I don't understand why people can't just watch women's sports and say like, "Oh yeah, I love sports. That's why I watch sports." And it's still sports. Just because women are playing them doesn't mean it's not sports.
1: I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're a stand-up comic and you're a woman, you're almost always outnumbered. And there are certain kinds of jokes that male comics do and often do poorly over and over again. After the break, my guests Rhea Butcher and Cameron Esposito tell us why they re-examined those jokes from a new perspective. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for Bullseye and the following message comes from Credible, helping people pay off their student loans and take control of their financial futures. Using Credible's simple platform, it only takes 90 seconds to figure out if you qualify for student loan refinancing and how much you could save. Credible allows you to compare personalized offers from multiple vetted lenders and find the offer that's right for you. Using Credible is completely free, and NPR listeners will get a $200 bonus offer when they refinance at Credible.com slash NPR. Before we get back to Bullseye, here in the U.S., Wednesday, October 19th, is the final presidential debate before Election Day. And the next morning, the NPR Politics Podcast is inviting you to skip the cable news hangover and get caught up with them. You'll know what happened and have key facts checked by the time you get to work or class. Whatever your morning routine, make the NPR Politics Podcast a part of it. October 20th, after the final presidential debate. Subscribe or listen on the NPR One app.
3: Are you easily confused by terms like cultural appropriation, cisgender, and woke?
0: Or maybe you find yourself constantly explaining terms like these and you need a place to vent.
3: Do you have a love for all things pop culture, Social commentary and politics. Sounds Sounds like like you need Minority Minority Corner, Corner. where you can learn, laugh, and play. Sounds like Blues Clues, only
0: it's more black, gay, and ladylike.
3: James and Ineke will happily administer your weekly dose each and every Friday. You can
0: listen on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcast. Minority
3: Corner, with a K, because Because the C was taken.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to comedians Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher. Their show, Take My Wife, is out now on Seesaw. I want to play a clip from Take My Wife, which is my, my guests, uh, Rio Butcher and Cameron Esposito's new show. Um, and I think this speaks to the way that you have um, – uh, that you've addressed these things that you're really mad about in a really elegant way in the show – um, and I think probably in your lives too, at least as i 've known you um so this this is uh this episode one of the one of the threads that runs through it is um, is a kind of casual misogyny in comedy and especially rape jokes um and obviously we're we 're going to talk about rape jokes if that's a concern but um i I want to play a clip, so basically. You guys are backstage at uh, your comedy show. Uh, a comic does a rape joke on stage that um, is about sexual assault. It isn't necessarily – It's it doesn't – you know, it's, it could theoretically be defensible. Like it's not like a pro – it's an anti-rape rape joke, but it's about rape and Rhea, your character – uh, has a sort of a negative reaction to it and kind of has to walk off w- walk off, and take a breather. And this is the two of you as you come back on stage.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just uh, reliving past personal trauma through the uh, rape jokes and rape conversation that's been going on tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, a lot of rape at this show. Not, that's the wrong way to say that, but on stage and conversationally. Why is it that the only dudes that will talk about rape are dude comics? And then it's just like all the time.
3: All the time. I mean, it is, it's dude comics, but then it's also like dude TV writers and dude screenwriters and dude book writers, you know, writer writers. Right, comic books, claymation, all that stuff. All that stuff.
2: (laughs) I think it's because rape is entertainment.
3: Yeah, I mean, what would female characters be doing if they weren't getting raped? Oh, um, wait, marrying a man. Mm Mm-hmm or
2: having a baby yes or she marries a woman then she cheats on the woman with a man gets pregnant has that baby kisses a woman dies <laughs> yeah. those are the stories
3: those are all woman things
2: <laughs> oh but you know what is not hmm. just a woman thing rape oh yeah
1: um how did you decide where this story would go from this point. Because this is you guys representing yourselves, probably doing something that is a little bit verboten as stand-ups, which is, you know, taking apart the comics that have gone before you, Um, uh, but also, you know, talking about something really important. And, you know, to some extent, my expectation was great they had a chance to say their piece, but it goes a little further than that.
2: Yeah, this, this was really important to us to include this in the show. Um, and we had a, you know, a team of writers and, you know, producers and directors. And so, so so that's to say there were also people helping us. Um, and I want to acknowledge that, that we have a great team on this show. So we didn't have to make all the decisions ourselves but we knew well at least i i knew how i wanted to handle this topic and and then i'll let rhea speak for herself um i find as a comic that whenever sexual assault rape jokes come up which they there is a there is a sensationalized moment about this topic i find annually i find every 12 months or so we have a big conversation about this and the conversation always kind of goes the same. Um, I hear a male stand-up talk about rape, um, and he talks about it as if it is a topic. Um, and then I hear a response from women who, are, who do not work in comedy um, where they have a problem with, with rape being addressed as a topic. So then there becomes a debate about censorship – which is a very silly, in my mind, way for this topic to be discussed. Um, Number one, censorship is not somebody having a problem with what you're saying. That's not censorship. Uh, Censorship is book burning. Censorship is being fired from your job and told you will never have a job again. Censorship is not somebody on the Internet saying, I am a survivor of sexual assault and I feel like you took this topic too lately. I think that comics should expect criticism. As we said earlier, I'm criticized all the time. This is something that comes with our job. It doesn't mean it feels good. It feels terrible, but it's a part of the the world that we do. This is part of the job that we do. Um, I do think that when you have taboo topics, and this is a a taboo topic because it really means something. It has caused harm to people in their lives. Um, You need to just treat them with good with gravitas, right? You need to have a good reason to talk about it. You need to have a good point that you're making um, and you need to not make those who have already been harmed harmed further, right? So as long as those things happen, no topics are off limits. And I don't think that's what anybody is suggesting. I don't think, I think almost no people that have a problem with the way rape is addressed in comedy are saying, never talk about this. Um, But I think it's, very naive to assume that your audience are a group of people who have also never been touched by this. I think it is statistically more safe to assume that there are people in your audience that have been sexually assaulted, that have been raped. I think it's also safe to assume that there are comics on the bill with you that have also been raped. And I think you just need to realize this is not a topic. This is a a thing. That happens in people's lives. And it's also not a thing that stops people's lives. People continue to live and they have jobs and they are successful and they are a member of society. And nobody is saying that you are doing them more harm than the assault did them when you talk about this. But you just have to realize that you're not talking about something that's a silly plot device to – the movie Kill Bill, or something like that. Like, this is a real thing that happens to real people. We should talk about it that way.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to the comedians Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher. Their new show on the streaming service CISO is called Take My Wife. I mean, you describe, you use the word naive. Um, You know, I can say as a guy that... um, You know, what you're describing as naivete is, you know, a function of male privilege that, you know, very well-meaning people like me um, could simply not have been asked by society to consider the experiences of people who are different from them. And so just not – in the same way you might might make a joke – Oh, I'm going to kill that person because you don't have the expectation that someone around you has genuine trauma about that. Uh, Someone might make the same joke about sexual assault simply because they haven't been asked by the culture to consider the perspective of others and realize that, as you said, probably a significant number of people present have been actually traumatized by that actual thing.
2: Yeah, I think the reason I said naive, instead. Of, and first of all, yes, completely.
1: I probably, I'm probably. i guessing the reason you said naive is because the minute you say privilege in a conversation, then people start throwing internet firebombs <laughs> at you, yes. start I trying mean, to find pic- naked pictures of you on your phone to post on the web and stuff.
3: Yeah, Which is it's, interesting it's because it seems as though um, the word privilege might be a... Trigger word: for Those <laughs> who experience privilege and think that trigger words are lame that's and a censorship. The, sure, the it good kind news seems like it all just comes around again, and we might yeah, that's be experiencing similar things. The <laughs> good news
1: is that a great part of my male male privilege and white privilege is that I get to say the word privilege <laughs> yes, without do. people attacking me that much. Yes. I'm so proud of you, so. and, happy and you can you. also
2: joke about well, it too, which yeah. is great. <laughs> I, I do want to say that another reason to. To use that word naive is um, at this point, if you are, let's say you and and let's just let's just use um, male and female because statistically more women are affected by this, Um, not because But it is still important that men are. Yeah, right. Not Not because this is only something that affects one type of person and also not because like gender and sex are finite. Like everything is on a spectrum and people have experienced a lot of different things, a lot of different types of people. But let's just say that Um, at this point, if you are a man, this is probably something that you have heard at this point today in 2016. Today that you're listening to this story on the radio, you have probably heard women say. Um, we are affected by this in a way you can't understand. You, we are worried about this every day. Um, we no longer live in a world where men are not told this. I feel like in the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, when I was growing up, this is not something I remember hearing in you – know, I didn't really have traditional sex ed because um, I went to a school where abstinence-only education was taught. But now, thanks to the Internet, thanks to Bill Cosby – you know, this is something that we're talking about. So at this point, um, I would actually say it's m- maybe it's more than naïveté. tape. It's um, you're being deliberately obtuse because people are telling you. Women are telling you this is something that we experience. This is real. And uh, so you're you're actually choosing not to listen to that person.
3: The thing, And I would also say that this actually relates back to our your first conversation, Cameron, which is it is more of like just shut up about it. I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to hear about your experience, and let's not talk about it. And then the only way that it does become talked, spoken about is through, um, you know, typically men telling these jokes, sort of naive jokes. And then – so for me, this episode, us talking about it, ultimately my goal was to have women talking about it and not just women but women who are stand-up comics talking about it um, because it's never that. Like you were saying earlier, it's it's always – Male comic versus female audience member or female blogger or whatever it is, yeah. and so we just wanted to be female comics talking about it. F- and for once. I mean, also, <laughs> you know, and I'm not gonna, I don't want
2: to, I don't want to spend more um, than this on this, more than just saying this on this particular interview, um, but also women, um, and I'll speak for myself, a person who has been affected by this. Like, this is something that's, that has happened in my life, and so like I am on a show with you. I am a, I'm a nationally touring comic. You know me. You know my name. Um, if you're another comic, I'm on a show with you. Um, so this is something I will say has affected me. So this is something that I've experienced. So talk to me about this knowing that about me. And also, like, please make a joke. Like, jokes are to alleviate pain. That is why we joke. Like, please take this pain away. I want to take this pain away. I want to joke about this. That's why we put it in the show because we hope that there's a place where this is funny. So this is not – nobody is censoring you. People just want you to be better at your job.
1: Did you guys find out about feelings that you or your wife had Mm -hmm. in the process of talking about the feelings that are so central to this show in order to make it?
3: I think yes. Do you feel like you learned about me making this show? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, yes, I did learn about you, yes. I think I learned that we really, really respect each
2: other, <laughs> like, like, so much. Um, that's something I, I didn't even realize how much I respected you and wanted to work with you. Because since we met, we've just been on this very fast treadmill Of, like, first we started working together, then we started dating, then we were moving to L.A., then we were engaged, then we were getting married, then we were making television shows, then we were touring. Like, it's really been a very rapid pace that we have been keeping in both our personal life and also our professional life. And those things happen to both be shared.
1: I'm Jesse Thorne. Imagine you were editing a TV show. And the star of that TV show was somebody you were completely head over heels for. I guess Cameron Esposito found herself in that position during the making of her show, Take My Wife. The co-creator of the show and the other star is her wife, Rhea Butcher. They're totally in love. So she'll tell me how that went when we come back in just a second. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. If you ever wondered what podcasts should I listen to, the big listen is ready to help. On NPR's newest podcast, host Lauren Ober introduces you to podcasts you might have never heard of and gives you the inside scoop on shows you already love, like the one you're listening to right now. When you want something new, find The Big Listen on the NPR One app and npr.org slash podcasts.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. You're on board. What do you say we, uh, we do all of this and put it into a podcast? Yeah, okay. You think? All right. Uh, should we call it, like, I don't know, can I pet your dog? Sure. All right. Uh, what, do you, what do you say we put it on every Tuesday on Maximum Fun? Or on iTunes. Sounds, Sounds the- good to me. Meeting's over.
1: It's Bulls. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are comedians Rhea Butcher and Cameron Esposito. They're the stars and creators of Take My Wife, which is out now on the streaming service, Seesaw. Rhea, were you surprised when the show turned out to be. Um, and I think, you know, the show's about both of you and about your relationship. But uh, I think that if there's a protagonist of the show, it's you, Rhea. Mm. Um, maybe that's just because it's a little more interesting to watch somebody try and decide whether to quit their job to do comedy or whatever.
3: Sure. Um, but yeah. were
1: you surprised by that?
3: For sure, um, for so many reasons. I mean, I, I'm I'm very new to this, and maybe that's what people related to is that uh, you're kind of new to a lot of things all the time. And maybe that's what I've realized in making the show is that you don't ever really figure it out. You're just always figuring it out, you know. And decisions that you make. And Cameron is. A big part in my realization of this, um, that there's, there's not really mistakes, there's decisions, and you can learn from them, or you can wallow in them, and that is the choice that you actually have to make in life. There's, like, those two roads. You can either believe that you're making decisions, and sometimes you maybe make the wrong one, but as long as you're not intentionally hurting anyone, (laughs) or (laughs) trying to be a villain, a 100% villain, um, You are just living your life and you're just trying to figure out your life Um, because a lot of what's in the show, uh, my indecision to quit my job um, is really a a combination of indecision that I spent like most of my 20s in um, trying to figure out just financially because I was on my own um, as an adult trying to get an education and trying to move forward in the world. Um, So making the decision to quit a job that was stable, that was paying just enough, and that gave me insurance that was just enough, but kept me from living a life that I wanted to live in any way, um, that was very fundamental to my evolution as a person and um perhaps that's what everybody's relating to
2: yeah i i also think something we hear we keep hearing is that the intimacy in the show is very appealing and because of our personality types and also because of the difference in our experience um because i i have a 10-year head start on ria when we started making the show it was interesting ria had a lot of kind of on-the-ground interaction with the full cast and crew. And I really took a lot of the kind of, um, I would say, like, more leadership position in the
1: show. Um, You did some of the shoutier stuff. Yeah. Rhea did some of the more conciliatory stuff. Right.
2: But what's interesting to me about that is, um, so if I had, you know, just a little bit more of the focusing... Um, in terms of, like, scripts and focusing in terms of camera and focusing in terms of edits, you know, how the editing would, would go. And,
3: yeah, I mean, I will break in to say specifically that Cameron Esposito uh, fully edited this te- edited this television show. I mean, we had two brilliant editors, but she was absolutely the, the, like, force that edited the show together. But that's actually what I think is so cool about you identifying Rhea as the
2: protagonist is that, I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, I actually, actually think, you know, unintentionally this show is really like a love letter to Rhea because I, I mean, I really think that I was in the editing bay, like, you know, showing my love for this person. And I think that's what comes out in the show. Um, not that Rhea doesn't love me too. I just mean, you know, if I was like having this laser focus for the show and it's, and creating a lens into our world, you know, the the person that I love is Rhea. And so it's really about how heroic I think Rhea is and how brave I think Rhea is. Um, I don't know. I think it's kind of a cool part of the show is that uh, that ended up being true. Yeah. Silly, mushy stuff.
3: <laughs> That's the feelings, Jesse. There they are. Yeah. We're having them right now.
1: It is like taking every ounce of my being not to just make some dumb joke so I don't start (laughs) crying.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I also don't mean to be taking, that's not me taking credit for the show. So many people worked on this show. I just mean, I happen to, my strength is the lens. Rhea's strength is the like the the machine. The high fives that I get. Yeah, Rhea's Um, like the machine and I'm the lens or whatever. So then the lens of the show is, is really my lens. And it's on Rhea.
1: Well, Cameron and Rhea, I'm I'm so grateful that you took the time to come in. I'm I'm so grateful for your lovely show. I'm uh uh if if uh if I can say, I'm just so proud of my pals for making such a lovely show. So, um uh thanks so much.
2: Well, I mean, as a long-time I mean, we're long-time friends. That's really wonderful that any of us meant anything. How did we do any of this? How did we do any of this? Where did we get here? Where are
3: we? I forget where How are. did we get any of this?
2: How do we get any of this? Oh, thank you, Jesse. Working hard every day. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us.
1: Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher's uh, television program is called Take My Wife. You can find it on CISO, which you can get on the web uh, through apps for your television or uh, various player devices or as an add-on for Amazon Prime. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. So, a little while ago, I was thinking about the show. I came up with this idea for a new segment. The craziest day of my entire career. At the time, we were talking to Jeff Garland about doing something on the show, and, you know, I know Jeff. He's a fascinating, charming, lovely guy. I thought this could be a good fit. I mean, this is a guy, you, you probably know him from... Curb Your Enthusiasm or a stand-up comedy, but he's also done stuff like he he was in RoboCop 3. He was in Straight Talk with Dolly Parton. He used to work the box office at the Second City alongside Stephen Colbert. He lived in an apartment with Conan O'Brien. He was on basically every sitcom on television at some point in the 1990s. Uh, And he helped develop HBO specials for Jon Stewart and Larry David, who we worked with on Curb. So, um, you know, I've decided to take the test, the kidney test for Lewis.
0: Oh, good for you. That's really noble. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just kind of wondering why you're not doing it. Why should I do it? Well, you're his manager, you're his friend. Why shouldn't you do it? A lot of people who have managers and friends need kidneys. What does that have to do with anything? I don't even know what that means. You're his friend. You're his manager. You're close to him. You should be taking the test, too. You're his oldest and closest friend. Oh, so it's a question of longevity? That's it? Yeah, you're his oldest and closest friend. That makes total sense. You're married to your wife for three years, and I've known her for 20. Who should give your wife the kidney? I've known her longer. By your logic, I'm the one who should be giving your wife a kidney. If my wife needs a kidney, you can give it to her. Oh, okay. So it's it's longevity no matter what, even if if you're married to her. No, I'm saying you seem like you want to give her a kidney, so I'm going to let you.
1: That was Jeff playing Larry David's manager, Jeff Green, on Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's what he's probably best known for. It ran for eight seasons on HBO in 2017. They say it's coming back for a ninth. I think it's fair to say that Jeff Garland has had a pretty crazy career, but he could only choose one crazy day. He did. He told us about it. And in the end, I think we were right about this. He was the perfect person to kick off this segment. So, without any further ado, Jeff Garland.
0: Hi, I'm Jeff Garland, and this is the craziest day of my career. All right, so a lot of bad, lame things have happened. But I'm going to tell you the weirdest thing that was also horrible, but the weirdest gig I ever had. It was at a place called the Stay Out All Night Disco, and it's probably about 25 to 30 years ago this happened. It was at Mannheim Road. In Chicago, near Stone, something—I forgot the name of the area—but it's right by O'Hare Airport, and it's a bar that's open all night. Thus, the name, the Stay Out All Night Disco. If you walked in, you'd think you were walking into onto the set of uh, uh, Saturday Night Fever, and the the gig was Sunday night. Sunday night at three a.m. So, if you are out drinking Sunday night at three a.m., you are an alcoholic. So really, it's just a room full of alcoholics. And I would go in there, and I remember the guy, name was Bill. Hey, guy, I'm Bill. Who uh, ran the place, maybe owned it. And Bill used to love to, you performed underneath a giant disco ball. There was a a circular bar in front of you. People were spread out. And um, I know it sounds weird already. We haven't even gotten there. He used to like to introduce me. Next up on stage is... uh Jeff Garland. Uh, like about 3.30 I'd go on, other, you know. And he'd play porn in the background. So I'm on stage. There's I'm trying to do my young act. I'm not very good at this point. I don't have a lot of material. I have no material now. I completely improvise, but I know what I'm doing, if that makes sense. So I didn't really know what I was doing. There's porn playing behind me. Ahead of me, no one's in front of me, no one's paying attention. And there's two couples really going at it, making out in front of me. So I say, hey, would you guys come up here? Because at this point, I'm like, whatever. And they come up. When I say whatever, I'm just throwing it up to the wind. I'm throwing it to the wind. I don't know. And I ask them if they want to be in a contest. And they say, what contest? contest? I said, a contest. You guys want to and whoever wins, you know, it's going to be exciting. And I never told them a prize, and they both agreed. So the the porn's playing behind me. I go back into my act, which has nothing to do with any of this, content-wise. At this point, I hear a man yelling, I'm gonna kill you! I'm gonna kill you! And I think, who is he gonna kill? Well, he's running towards me. And he's running towards me while holding a giant rubber... I mean, the size of a baseball bat, and he's swinging it like Thor. I, of course, start running. I can feel the wind on the back of my neck. The hairs are going up. I'm running around the bar. He's chasing me. Now, this is where it starts to get a little weird. (laughs) A giant, when I say a giant bald man, grabs the guy with the rubber and goes, that'll be enough enough of enough of that and takes him and throws him out the club. It's, and by the way, it's the middle of winter, so it's freezing outside. He throws him out like a log and shuts the door. He comes over to me and he says, are you, are you okay? okay? I say, yeah, yeah, a little freaked out, but yeah, I'm okay. So a couple of things I want to take notice of right now. Who is this bald man? He told me his name is Chris. He said, but you might, not, you might know me as King Kong Bundy. He was King Kong Bundy, who was a very famous... In the late 80s, a professional wrestler. That's when this took place. From Atlantic City, New Jersey, weighing 458 pounds, King Kong Bundy. Also, the couples are still through this. Bill, the man who runs the place, who wears a tuxedo, I forgot to add that, with a red tie, said go back up there and finish your go show Go back and finish your set there guys I said finish my show I gave these people more than there so I went up and finished and they were still <laughs> I said I, I left and they were still <laughs> uh, I mean looking back I guess I'm kind of glad it happened because it's just sort of this weird dreamlike memory you know that's one of the great things about my job is that I do what I love i think the worst possible day that anyone could have on their job is if they're miserable at their job and people are always saying do what you do what you love do what you what makes you happy follow your your uh, fancy you know and i say no do what you're good at if you do what you're good at, you're going to be successful. You're going to get raises. You're going to be so good at what you do that you're going to enjoy it. You're going to have to enjoy it. If you do what you love, see, I'm lucky because I think that I'm, well, think. I mean, I've been proven, I've been remotely successful, that I'm good at what I love. So that's where you people are lucky, when you're good at what you I'm Jeff Garland, and that was one of the craziest nights of my career. Hi, I'm Jeff Garland, <laughs> that's my advice. You never give any advice during this segment. I don't know.
1: That was the craziest sh- day of Jeff Garland's entire career. Jeff is currently appearing as Murray Goldberg on The Goldbergs, now in its fourth season on ABC. That's the American Broadcasting Company. Every week we like to close the show with a recommendation from me, Jesse. I'm the host of the show. We call it The Outshot. You make a movie, write a book, tell a story, whatever. You kind of want to reinvent the wheel. But if you ask me, there's something to be said for a lack of ambition. That's what I love about uh, the movie The Taking of Pelham 123. It has a distinct and refreshing lack of ambition. I want to be clear, I'm not talking here about the remake with John Travolta. I'm talking about the original from the 70s. It's a real simple movie. No filigrees. Basically, a gang of four guys hijack a subway train. They talk on the radio with a transit cop. There's no big action set pieces. There are basically no car chases. It's just a train hurtling down a track and at least one man who seems to have no problem with killing or dying.
0: Hey, how am I supposed to see what you... Holy God, what do you want? I'm taking your train. You're taking my mm. train. Hey, you. Turn around. I got something to show you. What's going on? Shut up. Sure. I won't tell you again. Open the door or I'll blow your head off.
1: What's great about Palom 123 2 3 is its texture, not just the film grain, that great 1974 film grain but more like the New York when New York was New York of it I'm not trying to say the city is a character no one wants to hear that cliche it's not about the geography it's just a few blinking lights on a computer subway map and it's not like people are going around like hey what's the matter you I'm walking here but you really have the feeling that New York is a city full of people all kinds of people and they're all going to say something about what's going on
3: Now, then, you'll all remain
1: seated. Anybody who tries to rise is going to get shot.
2: There's another one. Shut up!
0: Move up a bit, Mr. Doyle.
3: Now, ladies and gentlemen, you see this gun? It fires 750
1: rounds of 9mm ammunition per minute. In other words, if all of you simultaneously
0: were to rush me... Not a single one of you would get any closer than you are right now.
3: Hey, ma, those guns? Shh.
0: I do hope I have made myself understood.
1: At the center of the movie is a transit cop, Walter Matthau. Perfect, amazing, spectacular Walter Matthau. A guy we root for the second he slumps onto the screen. An old grumpus who can convey in one look a thousand things cool and detached, tired and mad, genuinely caring. Walter Matthau is our man.
0: Hey, come on. Where's our next than 144? Command center calling. Tell call I mean, Hey,
3: Frank, you're hogging all
0: my seconds. What do you want from me? I got motorman calling me from all over the line. Well, tell him to shat after and get off the air. and eat some more lines over here. The, the way I never thought I'd see three. the day when talking to murderers
1: took priority over running a railroad. Get off it, will you,
0: Frank? My only priority is saving the lives of these passengers.
1: Screw the goddamn passengers. What the hell do they expect for that lousy 35 cents to live forever? Oh,
0: you're yeah, beautiful you read me, Pelham, one, two, three. If I was running things like when they were guns and tear gas to blast them out. Yeah, well, you're not running things, so why don't you start doing your own work and let the police do theirs,
1: huh? There's no saving the cat. That's a screenwriter thing, a trick at the beginning of the movie to get you to care about the protagonist. We care about Walter Mathau because he's Walter Matthau. He's a guy we love. He's doing his job. He cares. And we care about the other folks because they're people in the city. They all have stories. We don't need a flashback to learn about them. We don't have a scene where somebody kisses his kid on the way out the door. Nobody's one day from retirement. The mayor gets booed. The police chief is scared. The regular cops seem, I don't know, all right, but they mess up sometimes. The folks on the train act stupid sometimes, but not like crazy bonkers stupid. They're just people in the city. And this circumstance has intruded upon their lives. And... In the taking of Pelham 123, there is not one moment, and that isn't thrilling. That's my outshot. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye, the show produced by speaking into microphones. Get it? Our producer is Dan Gallucci, production fellow at Maximum Fun Kara Hart. Our production assistant is Christian Duenas, senior producer Colin Anderson, known to his masses of fans as Soup. All our interstitial music provided by Dan Wally, thanks to the Go team and their label Memphis Industries. They gave us the theme music that plays at the top of the show. If you'd like to hear any of our past shows, all of them are free. Just go to MaximumFun.org. And if you want to hear about more cool culture stuff, check out our sister show, Pop Rocket. It's a roundtable discussion of everything great in popular culture, hosted this week by one of our favorite people, writer Margaret Wappler. Hey, Margaret. What's popping on Pop Rocket? So
2: much, Jesse. This week we talked about documentaries. We talked about debut novels. We had Jade Chang on, who just wrote The Wangs versus the World. And we had April Wolf on from LA Weekly.
1: And when you say we, I'm included in that because I'm on this week's Pop Rocket. That's right. right. Yeah. Our
2: special guest as well is Jesse Thorne. And you talked about Warner Herzog.
3: Lots
1: yeah. of great things. Yeah, you
3: got all the big things. F for face.
1: All my hobby horses oh were my ridden God, upon. F is for fake. And your dog was here. So if anybody doesn't listen to this episode of Pop Rocket, they're a fool. <laughs> I guess that's about it. Just remember all great radio hosts have a signature sign off.
0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.